Hello, my name is Anthony Simlin. This room sounds great. lovers thank you for hitting play on this room sounds great i'm reese williams we are recording from in your ear studios illustrious studio a today and i know there are a lot of options out there while you are changing the oil on your tuk tuk or digging in and rewiring your coffee maker but we couldn't be more grateful that you chose our little old podcast. Thank you so much. Our guest today is a Shaco Records label musicians. It is Ant the Symbol. Hello. Hello. How are you? You are interesting for us because normally when I'm talking to musicians, if we go in the Wayback Machine and we ask how they started and, um, you know, just take us through the story chronologically, it usually starts with them picking up an instrument well, or, it does start with that for me. Right, right. But but it's usually because that's where they are now. And so we can say, oh, okay, it may not have been that particular instrument. But because you're a producer, because you are the super glue of Richmond on bringing out creativity of everyone that you work with, um, it's interesting. You're, never, you're typically not on stage by yourself. I'm sure you can be. Um, you have for us very briefly. But as a producer enlisting everyone's creativity around you and creating a multifaceted sound. How did it start for you? Well, music has always been a part of my life. Like my mother signed me up for piano lessons when I was six. <laughs> and that was something I was always interested in. I would just like sit on the piano and play for hours. But the thing is, I wanted to, like, play what I wanted to play instead. My grandfather was a mover. He owned his own moving company. So he would, he brought home this huge organ, just like that one. I don't even think that my feet really reached the pedal <laughs> that well. But I would, like, play it. Like, the different levels were so intriguing to me. It's like, instead of having one piano in front of you, you had three. And... The more I could do, the more excited I was. And were you learning, was reading music sticking? Were you learning by ear? Were you already writing your own stuff? I would I would learn some things by ear. I would play some things by sheet music and other things I was just playing because I just heard it in my head. I love it. Like it wasn't necessarily like good stuff, but I would hear something and be able to like put it down. And... There were a few years where I just didn't, like, do anything, really. Like, we just had a piano at home collecting dust. <laughs> and I decided to pick up the guitar from there. So I would, I would go to my lessons and have my teacher, you know, teach me, like, some of the basics of guitar. or And just, like, chord progressions of certain songs that I liked so that I would, you know, be able to start listening to them and be able to kind of like morph my mind to think about how I would do things. And from there, of course, I started playing the bass too. Oh my gosh. I started playing the bass when I was 18. So piano at six, guitar at 14, bass at 18. Your music has so much dimension. 
I like getting immersed in, in the sound, feeling I'm the little kernel in the middle and it's just all around me. Yours is dreamy for it. Ah, perfect. The way, ex- you, the way you produce, the way you arrange, um, the ebb and flow of instruments coming and going, and then don't even get me started on the harmonies that you, <laughs> that you write and come up with. Um, so did you form a band? Um, I actually left out a part of it. I started producing when I was 17. And some of the music that came up was just like god awful. I was like, holy shit, looking back, ah, uh, like I'm very grateful for where I am now because looking back at that. But you were doing it. Like, do you know how many people have that in their head and they don't even take the time to learn how to execute it? So oh, for you, sure. And you, how many people give up if mm-hmm. they are not doing it up to everybody's standards? So, so who were your inspirations when you were younger? What was all around you? And what were you listening to? Um, very young, I was listening. Like, the first f- few CDs I really recognized by my mother were Tribe Called Quest, Low End Theory. Dangerous by Michael Jackson. The soundtrack to Boomerang. C.C. Peniston's Finally. And just everything that was on the radio. And, you know, music was so different then than it is now. Was was MTV still a thing? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. MTV was at its peak. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, I want to say within the next couple of years, they would start doing the real world, which is kind of dictated <laughs> where everything is going from there. Yeah. We thought the we think the Kardashians are bad. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just stick a whole bunch of random people in a house together and see how they function. That was the best voyeurism back then, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I wanted to be on it so bad when I was too young to be on it. And then the whole eight, the whole time that I was of age to be on it, I completely forgot about it. And next thing I know, I'm like 32. And I'm like, oh, wow, I'm way too old to be on that show now. <laughs> so Looks was, like that won't happen. Was all that here in Richmond? Have you been in Richmond your whole life? Yes. Right on. I didn't know that about you. Yeah, born and raised. So when did you start uh, pulling in... Uh, I started to say enlisting. When did you start enlisting others to create create your music magic? Say my sophomore year in college, which is when I kind of solo for a while. It was just kind of your own thing. Yeah, I was just like doing what I could here and there. Like I had people that would like hear something I'm making, like rap while it was playing, but nothing really, really, really to release to the masses until 2007. That's when I met Illiterate and Gordy Michael. That long ago. Yeah. Because they were they were doing all of their own stuff off of like industry beats and all of that stuff. And they needed a producer, so that's when they got in contact with me. And that went on for a while. Um, Obliv was also one of the first people that I met I would say he was the very first one to be like, I like what you're doing. And like the first person out of like somebody that I didn't know that just did music in the city, he was the first one to be like, you are doing something. And from there, that's when I met Illiterate. And then I would be around like the slam poetry scene in the city. So I met a lot of people through that. 
MySpace was also still a thing, so <laughs> you were entertaining Tom. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm really like aging myself here, like MySpace. But I would, you know, just like spend hours browsing on MySpace, like different musicians and all of that stuff, and I would reach out to rappers that I really liked. Some of them would leave me on red. Some of them be like, "Yeah, sure, let's do something." So I ended up working with people out of like San Francisco, Cleveland, just all over. Wasn't that an exciting time when you could connect with people like yeah, that? Yeah, it's. Oh. I didn't know that a, such a thing would be possible. Just like sitting at your computer doing all of this. And what was your goal at that time? So were you trying to make a name for yourself as a producer? Did you do it because it was just fulfilling you creatively? Both. You, well, okay. Like I definitely wanted to do this as a major thing. I think actually my goals may have been too lofty at that point because in 2007 I was 19. Like I wanted to like produce albums and eventually start my own label and all of that stuff, which sounds good on paper, but I learned shortly thereafter that it's not as easy as it sounds. But yeah, I just wanted to have that outlet a way to make myself stand out because nobody ever wants to just nobody should be okay with just being okay i think it's really admirable that you stuck with it that you you know you say you had lofty goals but you didn't get to a point where just because you didn't have your big break yet or you know whatever whatever that looked like you just kept doing it because you enjoyed it exactly yeah it's just the passion is ingrained and when you have that passion you're not just going to be like, oh, yeah, I don't think I'll do this anymore. Like, <laughs> You're going to keep doing it even if you find yourself disheartened. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've thought about just being like, out of hell with this. I don't want to do it anymore. But two, as long as two weeks or as little as two days later, I will find myself back at it with a new idea or something to rejuvenate myself. So you're the perfect person to ask about the Richmond music scene then, because you've been here. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, what trends have you seen come and go, whether it's a genre or people collaborating or not collaborating? You know, everybody everybody I've talked to the last few years here collaborates. Everybody's in multiple bands. Um, nobody gets that more than you, I'm sure. But what did that landscape look like as you were coming up? Well, I would say up until about 2017 or 18, I didn't really have a view on the whole scene. Like, I was just in the hip-hop scene, like, watching what happened there. And when it started off, it was... When not it started off, when I started off in it, it was very cliquish. That's a word I keep hearing about all genres. Yeah, yeah back in like, the day. The more, the longer I'm in it, the more I hear about how clickish everything was, and because of how clickish it was, people found it hard to, you know, advance. So because they found it hard to advance, they wouldn't stick around. You've had some people that have been here the whole time, like Radio B's around has been around for the duration. Michael Millions, Chance has been around forever. I didn't even know that he was younger than me <laughs> until the past few years just because he's been around so long 
and he's done so much in the time that he's been around, not even just in music. So yeah, He's a very well-rounded man. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And of course, illiterate, like he took a 10-year or so sabbatical and then came back stronger than ever. That's a fact. That, And I think that's, would you attribute that to he himself or do you think it's your collaboration together? Because you guys are so strong together. I think that it's, I think that it's a symbiotic relationship. Mm-hmm. Like, of course, I was like happy doing it when he wasn't active. But ever since he's been active, which he says is because of me, I think it's because of him and his passion about it. Because he had trying to be, get back into it for years. It just stuck recently. And ever since he's been back in it, we've just been kind of like feeding off of one another, like the energy. Because we text pretty much daily just about different stuff. Just say it. It's a bromance. We know. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I would say if there are two musicians who would like on my wedding day be up there with me, it's him and Johnny Siggs. Like those are just two of the most important people to me within music. Because I've known them for so long and they've just been so supportive, not just on the music, but on a life level. So, yeah, back to just illiterate for now. He's he's supportive of me and I'm supportive of him. And I think we're stronger together than we would be individually. Like we could both do what we do individually, but the fact that each of us has the other one makes everything a lot easier for us. Except for here, RVA, I don't think that that's not that's not anything to do with me. That's a whole different thing. Like that's a work of genius that that's, he had. That's the husband wife synergy right there. Yeah, I can't take they any any part of that. Like they built that empire on their own. They're doing good things. So, given where you are now, I know you you're with one record label as a performer. You're with Shaco Records as a producer. So tell me how you stay in those lanes and what you're getting from both of those relationships. I know Shaka Records is fairly new, but um, just tell me what you get as a performer uh, from the other label. Well, Gritty City, which is the label started by Johnny Siggs, is the outlet for my hip-hop stuff, which, once again, you stick with something if you're passionate about it. Like, I grew up on hip-hop. I've watched it change over years. Like, of course, I haven't been around, like, with people that have been there since 1973. I was 15 years before I was even born, so I couldn't be there from the very beginning of it. But a lot has changed from 88 until now, and I've got to watch pretty much all of it happen. So that's something that I'm passionate about. Gritty City lets me do that. And... They let me just be who I am. It's not like anybody's trying to like dictate what I do. Because I can never be in a situation that dictates what I do. It's just not me. So I don't think I'd ever work on a major label. Most artists don't like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, the whole me... point of 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 the whole point of I don't know what the phrase is of of when you're drawn to that artist, whether you're a label, whatever you are. 
you like their perspective on the world. You like how they're sharing their perspective on the world. Exactly. It's, it's for who they are. Exactly. No one should ever want to change an artist, especially. It's like when a, when a man and a woman are in a relationship and one of them gets in a relationship with the other because they think that they can change them. No, that's not going to work for anybody. And then uh, Shaco Records is a fairly new relationship, but what are you hoping to get out of that dynamic and how are they different? Shaco Records has has become the label that will let me be the forward thinker that I am. Like when I was working on my album, I was just like, okay, I need a label where I can just be, for lack of a better term, just be me. It, you shift gears every song. It's, it is the most engaging album to listen to because no two songs sound alike. You're genre hopping everywhere. I mean, yes, there is the, the, the symbol sound running through it, but one of the last albums I remember that was this intriguing to me was Fatboy Slim. Oh, wow. And I was at a party and the album was on and I asked somebody, there was, you know, tracks playing. I'm like, oh my gosh, who is this? They're like, this is Fatboy Slim. I'm like, this is great. It was when it first came out. The next song I turned to somebody, oh my gosh, who is this? They're like, this is actually still Fatboy Slim. I'm like, oh my God, it sounds so (laughs) different. And I just kept asking. And finally they're like, this whole album, it's Fatboy Slim's album. Every song you hear is going to be Fatboy Slim. (laughs) But it was so varied and intriguing and interesting to me. And that's exactly what this one sounds like to me. When we've got it on here in the control room, you just, you shift gears every time you keep us on our toes. It's incredible. And the most difficult thing about doing that is keeping it cohesive. It's not disjointed. Yes. It's not like, oh, here he is trying to show us that he can do everything. No, it's not like that at all. Oh yeah. Like as soon as I thought of a certain song, one of the main things that would be going through my head was, will this fit in with the general scheme of the album? Sometimes it did, sometimes it didn't. Like, everything that's on there was like, okay, this fits. This is supposed to go here. And it's not an easy thing to do always. But Shaco Records, I knew, would be able to appreciate that aspect of it. And y'all would know how to handle it. Like, I'm being able to distribute this album in a completely different way than I've distributed anything in my entire career. Let's talk about the album. Let's talk about who's on it. Let's talk about how long it took you to amass all the content for it. Well, it took three years. And the three years is just how I, how long I was actively seeking out collaborators. Like, I want to say I started all of this like just making like different demos that I liked back in 2015. <laughs> and I think back in 2015, I was a little scared of what I was creating. Like I was building a monster. Is this your opus? <laughs> yeah. I was building a monster that was too big for even me. So I would just like stay in my lane with hip hop and just do that until pandemic hit. And when the pandemic hit, it was just to me like, you're losing time. You're going to keep on being too scared to do what you have to do 
there's no reason that you shouldn't just do it. Just do it. You're at home. Nobody is going anywhere. People have mics at home. You could be doing this right now. Why not? And I couldn't find a reason why not, so I did it. Aren't your 30s grand? Yes. Yes. <laughs> you start giving a lot less you-know-whats. Yeah. You start recognizing the passage of time. You're like, I'm going to scare the crap out of myself for oh, yeah. something great. <laughs> yeah. And I, yeah, it's it has to be a 30s thing because in 2015, I was 27. Mm-hmm. And in 2020, I was 32. Mm-hmm. And there was a major mentality <laughs> switch there. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I'm glad I didn't start it in 2015 because it wouldn't have come out the way that I would have wanted it to. Like everything is meant to happen the way that it's meant to happen. And I'm glad it happened that way because it's stellar. Now, how did you choose who you wanted to collaborate with? Were they just people you were seeing around town or how, how did you choose? There were a lot of people that I was seeing at Roots Jam, which Calvin, Calvin Brown, he's brilliant for starting that. It's like, just a different kind of open mic. Like people can go up there with their instruments. People can go up there and sing original songs or do covers of songs that already exist. You hear so many different people. That's actually how I really got put on to Aaron Lunsford, Jalen Brown. Who else? Just a bunch of people. Annalise. I love her voice so much. It's it's so different and so, like, you don't hear voices like that on house music and stuff. Like, working with her, I knew exactly where I was going to go with it because I, like, I love house music too. And I needed somebody that was going to do it right. And she's been doing it, so I got her to do that song, and it sounded amazing. We had initially done a different song that was just like, a mid-tempo R&B song, but, you know, mentalities change. She was like, I don't want to use that one because it doesn't reflect where I am now with things. So she made a completely different song over a completely different track that I made. I'm glad. And it came out so good. Like, And it's in the vein of, like, Hey Yahweh's. It sounds like a real upbeat, happy song, but the lyrics is so, like, dark. And, like, you're in a space where you don't feel comfortable. And instead of making a sad song, you decide to make this song that everybody can dance to. (laughs) Which I love that kind of polarizing mood within the song because it all works together at the same time. I like Robin's uh, In the Corner. I'm in the corner watching you kiss her. Mm -hmm. I'm not the girl you're taking home. And it's a lovely club track. You can dance to it the whole time. Oh, yeah. And it's so heartbreaking. Exactly. (laughs) But, yeah, Hey Ya has always been such an intriguing song to me for that reason. So to be able to make another form of that is just really, really speaks to me on the level of Art I can create with other people. I digress, though. (laughs) Being so proud of this album, it's clear. I mean, it's a labor of love. Um, You're getting compliments all around from people who hear it. And, of course, you have to be satisfied with it yourself. But being as happy as you are with it, what does that do for your next project, your mindset for the next project? 
Are you ready to scare the shit out of yourself again? <laughs> I don't think I'll be scared shitless again. <laughs> because now I know I can do it. <laughs> but yeah, I've already... The process that I was going through in 2015 with this album is the process that I'm going through now with the next one. I guarantee it won't take as long because I know what I'm doing now. And the creation of the album probably won't even take another three years. Once again, because I know how to communicate with people. I know how to choose people to be on it. It's really, really good listening to the current album because it it automatically makes you think about where your next step will be. Always looking ahead. How will you expound on the message that you're trying to put out there currently. So it feels really good to be able to go into and think about what it's going to be next and not have this cloud of fear hanging over your head. Mm-hmm. It'll be smoother. How do you come up with the song ideas? Do you zone out? Do you ride your bike? Do you... Um is it while you're doing something else it just pops in? What is your your songwriting style? It there's so many different ways. Like there there are a couple times like I've been riding home like humming something and I'll have to hum it repeatedly to myself until I get to my computer because if I don't hum it repeatedly, <laughs> I'm gonna forget it. My phone voice app is is full. It's like a hundred and twenty notes, voice oh, yeah. notes. Yeah. <laughs> you have to do that. So it'll be like when I'm walking around like Carytown or something, when I'm driving home, when I'm doing laundry, when I'm actually at my computer just listening to music or watching something on one of the streaming platforms. Like it could come to me at any time. I just have to be ready to either make a note or put it down. There's so many different ways and moods that will dictate what I'm going to put down. Isn't that a great feeling? Yeah, you never know what's going to come next. You just have to roll with it. And you never know what little seedlings are just going to turn into this full-fledged thing so exactly. easily. So what, you know, looking at this album as a whole, it's it's diverse. You're collaborating with so many names in Richmond. What is the message? What do you want it to say about you and the music scene and, and the people that you brought in? Well, on a musical level, I just want people to expand their mind when it comes to me as an artist and when it comes to music in general. Because a lot of people don't know what I was capable of. And a lot of this is being said on like the fact that I want to be represented a certain way. It's always been kind of hard to like talk about yourself and like this is the respect that I want. <laughs> this is how I want people to see me, but I'm get, I'm getting more comfortable with that whole part. I don't I want I don't want people to think that I'm this one trick pony. I want people to know that I have love for all different kinds of music and I've gained the ability to be able to make all different kinds of music while staying true to who I am in their eyes. Like, of course, all of this is staying true to who I am to me, but to them, staying true to who I am or who I have been for as many years as they've known who who I am. And 
Incidentally, that's kind of the name of the album. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like just the the story for the album title is great. Like it ended up being exactly what I wanted to convey. And that title is one level of it. And another is just like how everybody has been feeling since 2020. It's made, it's drawn up so many different emotions. Like people, some people are depressed by it and other people, you know, just find the time to like build something positive out of it and like really hone in on something different. So from beginning to end, I just wanted to make it kind of like an uphill journey. Like you start. Another thing is I view things cinematically. So like the first track on the album is like pretty much opening credits. And then you're starting the story at a point where you're getting ready to go on this journey within deal with all of the emotions and all of the other like aspects of life, you know, bringing in positivity, getting rid of the negative, letting yourself flourish. And then by the end, you feel like this journey has not necessarily ended, but come to the end of a chapter of it. And you're able to see yourself fully realized having grown from everything that you've been through. It's so dynamic. You know, you talked about this is how you wanted people to see you. This is how you knew, how you saw yourself. You wanted other people. What's really cool about you is you're doing that without any ego and you're doing it by demonstrating. You can't tell people how to see you. You can't tell people. You you can tell people what you're about, um, but you can't convince people. It has to be authentic. You have to show them the goods. Right. And that's exactly what you're doing. I mean, I think a lot of people, especially a lot of younger people, they still have a little too much ego. There's a lot of talk, right? You know, you can talk about this, the album. You can talk about all these things. But if the work doesn't reflect it, it's difficult. Yeah, and it's hard to let ego just not be a thing. Like, of course, there are times where you want to toot your own horn. There are times (laughs) that you want to be better than what you hear. But I just let everything speak for itself. Like, I don't go around boasting. Like, yes, I do know that what I do is good. If I didn't think it was good, I wouldn't put it out there. But you hear so many people that are just, like, gassing up what they do before the world even hears it. And it's just like you're waiting on something from them. And sometimes it delivers. Sometimes it doesn't. I never want to be put in a situation where I'm like, yeah, I'm the best, nobody can touch me or anything like that. And then it ends up where people are like, I thought you were the best, and this doesn't reflect that. Like, this is good, but you I don't, don't want to be in that situation. You don't have so. it in you. It's not who you are exactly. at all. Like, not one bit. I just want to make something that could affect somebody else. And if they love it and say thank you for it, I'm going to awkwardly approach them with a thank you, 
<laughs> like when I say that, I know that I'm grateful for them and I know that I've done something good for that person. I just have like overthink how to deal with that. <laughs> it's who I am. Mm-hmm. And it's not something I can really change. But I want anybody to understand that if I'm short on words with them, it's because I'm overthinking and I don't have the ego. Instead of for me to just be like, yeah, I don't have time for you, peasant. <laughs> I don't want every I don't want anybody to ever think that if I'm just like short on words. Or that if I'm running over with words that's an ego thing. Or that I just want to hear myself talk because I genuinely just want to like share my experience with somebody, not to not to hear myself say it, but to just be able to relate. And it's nice to show gratitude. That feels good. It feels really good. Yeah, it feels really good to, like, reach a goal. And at the same time, it feels really good to be able to show gratitude to the people that helped you reach that goal. Because a lot of—there are very few things that one is able to achieve by themselves. (laughs) Very few. Like, there have to be other people involved, whether it's just encouragement or actual work, there have to be other people involved. You do a great job of attracting the right people. So tell me, what's been a memorable performance for you? And was it because, like, what's been a stellar performance? What's been a shit show of a performance? (laughs) Well, I'm going to start with the stellar performance. The stellar performance was right here. That was the first performance I ever had that made me just go, You've done it. And this was your Shaco Sessions live here? Mm -hmm. Like watching everybody in the audience enjoy it, like really feel it. Um, Knowing that my fiance and my good friend Keisha Eugene, who's a big photographer in the area, watching, watching them smile as it was performed and them telling me afterwards that they couldn't help but sing along to the songs. That was just great. And then just having everybody from different points in my career up there with me, like Elijah Illiterate was up there with me, Johnny Siggs was up there, and then Kelly Strawbridge, who I've known and been close to for a very long time now. And then a whole bunch of people that I just met within the past few years. Some that I even just met within the past year. (laughs) Some that I even met within just the past month. Like Trevor Peach, who played the guitar. I met him through rehearsal for Elijah's Shago session. He's a dynamic player. Oh yeah. That's why when Wow. That's why when I had my original guitar player and not be able to make it, I was just like, Oh, I'm in a situation who can I never mind, I know who I'm gonna call. When Carlos was watching the show again. He said what's so dynamic about him is he has, he plays beautifully, he plays with heart, he doesn't overdo it. Exactly. He reads the room like he is quality. Yeah, a lot of it, a lot of that was communicating one by one with all of the players around me. Like you would you would look and you would be able to see me make a signal towards one of them, make a signal towards another. And we were able to just, like, coordinate perfectly. Like, everything went without a hitch. And that was, 
that says something to me as the coordinator and to them as the players. The communication was just like right in there. And it was the same way for illiterates. Like just being able, like it was on a smaller scale, like Will the drummer and I were just like very in tune with one another. So the Shaco Sessions is that special one because it was a big puzzle with many different pieces and it all came together to be this beautiful picture. It's definitely one of my top five favorite shows. Oh, I, Absolutely. I was so excited percent. about that. Jalen's still my number one, though. <laughs> it's going to take a lot to knock that Hers one Hers is beautiful. You have any guilty pleasures? You got any things that, that you like to do that you either geek out on or you just feel like, oh, I'll keep that to myself <laughs> until um, now? <laughs> well, I'm a big, big, big movie person. I know you saw all of the Oscar nominations. <laughs> Uh, yeah, by the by the time the Oscars came around, there was only one that I have not seen. So like a huge, I feel like this level of like person that like watches movies that has to be called a cinephile. <laughs> yeah. And I don't have guilty pleasures because I feel like if you like something, <laughs> you like it. Yeah. There's no reason to be guilty about it. Nice. What's uh What's one of the silliest ways you've ever hurt yourself? Are you a clumsy man? No. Hmm. Fun fact, I don't fall. What? You got a good center I will of gravity? Trip. Yeah, I apparently. I will trip, stumble, but I just end up right back like in my regular step. I don't fall. You're like a weeble. Yeah. They wobble, but they don't fall down. Exactly. <laughs> the last time I fell, this is embarrassing. It was... We had this huge ice storm in, I guess it was 2008 or nine, And both my mother and I had somewhere to go. So I had to like shovel snow and then break down the ice underneath. And I went out in the street to do something. There were kids playing in the snow. I was just standing there and somehow standing there, I just <laughs> slipped and f felt like I like broke my ass or something. It's like, I didn't know you could break an ass. It's but your coccyx bone. Yeah, like, oh, I <laughs> fell right on it. And then after about two seconds, there are like five kids standing over me, looking at me. And they look down at me and go, are you okay, sir? First of all, I'm only like 20, 21 years old. Why are you calling me, sir? Like you make it sound like you make it sound like some kind of geriatric life alert situation that I just fell. <laughs> This is this is ice. People slip. I'm gonna be okay. And second of all, just those kids like standing over me was mortifying <laughs> because you can tell they were just like, "What do we do?" <laughs> yeah, like, do we laugh at this person? Do we help them? What do we do? Punks. So I just got up and went inside for a little bit, and I told my mother, I was just like, "I'm gonna have to go back and do this later." I just made a complete ass, no pun intended, of myself. And the whole neighborhood saw. Oh, it was bad. Well, Aunt, we think you are just an outstanding addition to the record label. I speak, oh, thank you I for speak having for me. everyone on the label, for sure. I speak for everyone who has seen your Shaco Sessions live. We've been sending the link to everybody. Oh, me when too. When we want to tell them how talent-packed that night was. And where can people go to learn more about Aunt the Symbol? 
You can find all the information that you need at antdecimble.com, including any links to social media and any music that you want to hear. Feel free to stop by that link anytime. And the Symbols album, I Know Who I Am, is out. It's coming out. He's going to be around town. Make sure you go check it out. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to This Room Sounds Great. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Visit ShakoSessionsLive.com to get tickets to our live shows and to watch online. And visit ShakoRecords.com and sign up for the newsletter so you're always in the know of all the groovy things we've got going on. And that's a wrap. Thank you.